Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in tonight. Um, starting in verse 1, verses 18 to 23. Um, the Bible says has some very hard things to say sometimes. Um, in the Bible, some very tough things to swallow, if you will. <laughs> and tonight is some of those verses. And, um, and it's very challenging to preach these. I thank my fellow elders for giving me these verses. Um, <laughs> Chris got all the easy ones at first, and then he bring, springs this on me. But, um, but God's word is true, and it's, it's good, and it's, um, even though it's tough, it's good for us. And so uh, let's read. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against, godless, against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate appropriate penalty of their error. All right, so let's break this down. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. This is the first section of the Bible that discusses sin. Uh, up to this point, I didn't talk about sin at all, but this is the first section that deals with sin, and it explains how people get into the darkness that engulfs them, and how God's wrath was revealed or uncovered or exposed um, and made visible, and we're going to see a downward spiral. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godless, godlessness and righteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven. In verse 17, he says, God's righteousness was revealed. Chris talked about last week. God's righteousness was revealed from faith to faith. Here he says, God's wrath is revealed. And we don't like to hear that God has wrath because it seems to go against what we like to, it does go against what we like to believe about God. It goes against our God portfolio, if you will of who we think God is and who we want God to be. But it says God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Look, it's from heaven. Paul didn't come up with this. He said this wrath is revealed from heaven, from God himself, against all godlessness. And the word wrath in the Greek it means an upsurging. It's an indignation, a retributive anger, a passionate outrage against wrongdoing. That's God's wrath. A passionate outrage against wrongdoing. And it's being revealed in two ways, indirectly by way of natural consequences of violating God's moral law. There are natural consequences to violating God's moral law. 
And that's how God reveals his wrath. And we, and we see that, we're going to see that in, in, in a little bit, but there are just natural consequences to wrong to sin. The wages of sin is death, and it's not just physical death. Sometimes it can be the death of other things. So there are natural consequences to our sinful choices. And so God's wrath is revealed indirectly by way of natural consequences, by violating God's moral law. And then this sometimes revealed directly by God's personal intervention. Sometimes God himself will reveal his wrath through the flood in Genesis, through Sodom and Gomorrah. That was God intervening himself, revealing his wrath. So it can be revealed indirectly to God allowing the consequences of our sin to affect us, or God directly intervening himself and exposing it and showing his anger. Paul here leads with the righteousness of God. He says, uh, the, the God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There are, one, 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 one scholar said, there are more scriptures in the Bible to talk about the wrath of God than it talks about God's love and tenderness. That's, wow. Sin doesn't provoke wrath in us, and so we're surprised it, it provokes wrath in God because we don't get mad at our own sin. Or other people's. Sometimes we get more angry at other people's sin than our own. But because sin doesn't provoke our own wrath, we're surprised that it provokes the wrath of God. But we have to understand God is a holy and a righteous God. And, and God's, God's wrath is justified. It's always justified. And there are various kinds of wrath in the Bible. There's eternal wrath, which is hell. There's eschatological wrath, which is the final day of the Lord, which the Bible talks about. There's cataclysmic, cataclysmic wrath, like the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah that I talked about. There's consequential wrath of sowing and reaping. And then there's abandonment, where God removes his restraint, letting people have their sin. And we're going to see that in a minute. Abandonment, God removing his restraint and says, have it your way. Have your sin. That's scary. That's scary. And God's anger, his wrath, is not uncontrollable, destructive emotion. God's anger is not out of control. God is very balanced. (laughs) His emotions are never out of control or ever wrong. If God um, responds or acts angrily, it's because it's justified. You know, sometimes our anger is not. We We can go off the handle and fly off the handle and all that kind of stuff. God doesn't have temper tantrums. We do, but God doesn't. God's wrath is his just, holy response to sin and rebellion. And that's what it is. And there's no conflict between the wrath of God and the love of God. God's wrath is motivated by his love. It's a, his wrath and love are guaranteed, guarantors that what is wrong will be put right. That what is wrong will be put right. And we all know that certain sins deserve wrath. We all know that. We all know that, we all know that sex trafficking deserves wrath and anger. We all know that rape deserves wrath and anger. We all know that. And God is the same way. We get that from God. (laughs) The only problem is there are certain things we don't want God to show anger towards because we like it. But God always knows what's justifiable anger and what is not, and we don't. And he said his his anger, his, his wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness which is, the word means to fall back before or to shrink from. And it's a disregard of God's rights and his person. 
Godlessness is, 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 is a disregard for God's rights and his person as God. And it means to not reverence. Godlessness is not reverencing God. And that makes God angry. And it said his wrath is against godlessness, godlessness and unrighteousness, which is a violation of divine law. It's injustice, and it's a lack of conformity in thought, word, or deed to the character and law of God. That's what unrighteousness is. It's a violation of divine law, it's injustice, and it's a lack of conformity in thought, word, or deed to the character and law of God. You can think unrighteously, you can speak unrighteously, and you can act unrighteously. And it provokes the anger of God. And it says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and righteousness of people. Know who's the ones who are doing this godlessness and its unrighteousness is us. It's people who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. The word suppress means to hold down or to push down. It depicts a man struggling to keep the lid of a container closed so that what's inside won't escape. He's holding, he's pressing it down. Because he doesn't want what's inside to escape. And that's what we do with the truth about says We suppress it. We hold it down. It's like a tennis ball. You're holding a tennis ball underwater. If you don't hold a tennis ball underwater, it'll, it'll pop up. And so in order to hold it underwater, you have to suppress it. You have to hold it down. And that's what it's talking about. And that's what we do, the Bible says, with the truth. We suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. We know it's there, but we don't like it. So we suppress it by our unrighteousness. We hold it down. We push it down. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. What can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. Everybody knows there's a God. Everybody knows that. That's what the scripture says, because there's evidence of our conscience. There's innate knowledge. Our conscience, we know there's a God. There's the creation itself that lets us know that there's a God. I want to look at that in a minute. And then there's a word itself, the scriptures, who reveal God to us. So there's the, the, the evidence of conscience, there's the evidence of creation, and there's the evidence of, of the word of God. But we suppress that. The word evident means it's, it's open to sight. It's visible. It's manifested. It's clear. Chuck Swindoll, I want to read what he says in this, uh, concerning this verse uh, about the, the, the suppression. The sin of humanity suppresses the will of God. Sin keeps the world from working as God originally intended it to. Do you know that's, that's why the world doesn't work because God, the way God intended it? Because of sin. A great majority of the world's evil is instigated and perpetuated by people sinning against one another, such as murder, theft, hostility between nations, and violence in the home. The sin of people prevents the world from being better than it could be otherwise. The world is messed up because of us. It would be a whole lot better if we were righteous, but we're not. People suppress suppress innate knowledge of the creator and awareness that is as much a part of their composition as DNA. Did you hear that? He said, people suppress their innate knowledge, conscience of the creator, 
an awareness that is as much a part of their composition as DNA. God created people for the purpose of having a close and meaningful relationship with him, and this need causes men and women of all races throughout all time to instinctively seek their creator. Everybody all over the world is seeking their creator. Everybody knows there's a God all over the world. That's why you see religion everywhere, because everybody knows innately there's a God. This came from somewhere. Men and women of all races throughout all time Extensively seek the creator unless, that is, they willfully push down that desire and purposely ignore this innate knowledge of him, which is what we do. Purposely do that. Purposely do that. The more the conscious warns, the more the sinner hardens himself. The more the conscience warns you, of your sin, and that there is a God, the more the conscience uh, hardens himself. You, Pharaoh had, his conscience had to tell him at some point, listen, this is the fifth plague. This thing is real. There is, his God is real, Pharaoh. His conscience had to say that to him. But the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He kept hardening his heart. You can't, his conscience had to tell him at some point, and even the people who worked with, listen, Pharaoh, they did, listen, I can't take another one of these plagues, Pharaoh. (laughs) You might want to listen to what Moses is saying, but Pharaoh suppressed. He hardened his heart. It's evident. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. The natural world reveals the reality of God's existence. Just look outside and you say, it screams God. Man, listen, man did not begin with ignorance and gradually work his way up to intelligence. He began with a blazing revelation of the power and wisdom of God and turned his back on it. You hear that? So we didn't start with, man didn't start with ignorance, okay? Uh, And gradually work his way up to intelligence. We didn't start with not knowing, then realize, oh, oh, I guess there is a God. No, 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 no. Man began with a blazing revelation of the power of God, just in creation, and the wisdom of God, and turned his back on it. He suppressed it. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, which which is evident in creation, and his divine nature, which is the sum of all his glorious attributes, which leave an impression on everybody's mind. All of the attributes leave an impression on everybody's mind. The exhibition of his power, his wisdom, his goodness, and his graciousness. All of that was evident. His eternal power in creation and his divine nature. The sum of all his attributes have been clearly seen. Psalm, 9, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Just look outside. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. They're crying, yelling. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. The creation does. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth, 
everywhere, all over the universe. And their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a, a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing. The heavens declare the glory of God. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Uh, okay. Um, and Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth and who had never walked, who never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul says, Paul seen that he had faith to be healed just by looking at him. Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he jumped up and started to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermas because he was the main speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He, with the crowds, intended to offer sacrifice. They were going to worship Paul. Verse 14, the apostle Barnabas and Paul, the apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God. Turn from these worthless things, these false gods, to the living God. Listen, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in it. In past generations, he allowed all nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. God just gave you common grace. He allowed all nations to go their way initially, although he did not leave himself without a witness. He did not leave himself without a witness. Don't forget that. Don't miss that. Since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness, even though they said all these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. They still wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas had to remind them that this is the God who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. For though they, verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. He says, although they knew God, not in a salvific way, but they knew of his existence and his attributes. See, we see God's effects in the earth. And just Psalm 19 just told us, we just look in the heavens and declare the glory of God. All we've got to do is look outside. They knew of his existence. They knew, they knew God in that sense. They knew of his attributes. We see God's effects in the earth. There's general revelation. Everybody has general revelation. And that's what that is. General revelation, and we all have it. Now, general, general revelation is not enough to save anybody, but it's enough to condemn everybody. General revelation is not enough to save anybody, but it's enough to condemn everybody. Because you can't deny what you see. There's general revelation, and then there's special revelation. The, the, the heavens, the world is general revelation, the things we see. The Bible is special revelation. You can't get saved off of general revelation, but you can from special revelation. 
Another, another uh, quote from a commentary I read, which I thought was really good and, and gave a good analogy about how obvious the reality of God is in the world, just how obvious it is, and how God screams it at us all the time. He said, in the most elementary of human terms, this is not a case of a father who chastens his teenager for something that he never even told him to do. Rather, this is a case of a teenager leaving school and all the way home seeing billboards, street signs, flashing marquees, signs on buses, bumper stickers, airplanes pulling messages, message banners. Billy, don't forget to set the garbage out for the trash truck. He sees that on the bus on the way home. On the side. Then when he gets home, there are phone messages, email messages, and television commercials reminding him of the same thing. That's how plainly God has made himself known to you and me. He screams it everywhere. I exist. We see it everywhere. So that's why he says they are without excuse. Nobody's going to be able to say to God on judgment, judgment day, ah, you know, there really wasn't enough evidence for me. Nobody is going to be able to say that. Nobody is going to be able to say that. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They, had, they failed to value God above all things. They failed to value God above all things. And they're indifferent. Well, first of all, man is to glorify God. And it says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. We are created in part to glorify God. Let's look at a couple examples of this, a couple of scriptures to talk about that. First Chronicles chapter 16. And this is David um, uh, speaking here. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonderful works among all peoples. He's talking to the children of Israel. For the Lord is great and highly praised. He is feared above all gods, small g. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. I love that verse. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, fake phonies, but the Lord, the sovereign God, made the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We're supposed to give God glory. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 29. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We are to glorify God. He says, give to the the Lord the glory due his name. The glory of his name. Let's look at another one in the New Testament. Acts chapter 12. Now this is Herod's death. Now, Herod had, had um, uh, he gave food to the Tyrenians and the Sidonians, and he became angry with them. And this, t- and this talks about what happened when he became angry with them. He had been very angry with the Tyrenians and, si- and Sidonians. He supplied food to them. Together they presented themselves before him, and they won over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. So they got in favor with one of Herod's boys. And they knew Herod was mad at, mad at them, so they were trying to get favor back with Herod. They won over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, and through him they asked for peace. Okay, can we, can, we, can we offer peace to Herod? Because the country was supplied with food from the king's country, so they wanted to continue that, so we need, we need to offer some peace to Herod. Verse 21, so on an appointed day, 
dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne. Herod delivered a public address to them. So Herod is seated on his throne on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes. And, 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 and um, Josephus said the, the, the robe was silver and, and, and it kind of sparkled and it made him look a certain way. So on appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public dress to them. Verse 22, the, the assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of man. Okay, so Herod sitting on his throne in his, in his sparkling robe, and they, and they said, it's the voice of God and not a man. And some scholars think that they were just trying to flatter, flatter Herod to get back in his good, good, good graces, and that could be possible. But listen to what they said. It's the voice of God and not of man. They called Herod a God. At, at once, an angel of the Lord struck him. Why? Because he did not give the glory to God. And he became infected with worms and died. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. Listen what happened. They shouted, it's the voice of God and not of man. And at once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God. Herod did not say, stop, like Paul and Barnabas did. Stop, we are, I'm just a mere man like y'all. Stop, I'm not a God. He didn't do that. He let them call him a God. He did not give glory to God. And as a result... The Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he became infected with worms and died. God killed him because he didn't give him, give him glory. He, he tried to steal God's glory. Don't ever try to do that. Don't ever try to take what belongs to God. Never try to receive God's glory. And then verse 24, then God's message flourished and multiplied. Did you hear that? After he would died... The message of salvation flourished and multiplied, the Bible says. People's like, oh, I think I need to get saved. <laughs> flourished and multiplied when they saw a man killed for not giving God glory. Wow. Let's look at another one. Daniel chapter 4. A little lengthy, but then Daniel. Now, there was a dream uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that his, his people could not interpret. Daniel was the only one who couldn't interpret the dream. This is Daniel interpreting the dream that Herod had. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Okay, don't let it scare you. Just tell me what, just tell me what, what the dream means. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. I don't want this to be for you. May this apply to your enemies and this interpretation to your enemy. Verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, so Belteshazzar, I mean, um, uh, he saw, um, what's his name? Nebuchadnezzar, thank you, saw a tree in the dream. He said, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the air lived. That tree is you, king. That tree is you, the king. For you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw an observer, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. 
This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the sentence of the Most High that has been passed against my Lord the King. This is against you, my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. King, this is you. You will be driven away from the people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of times until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men. Until you realize... That the king, until, until you realize that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. God controls everything, Nebuchadnezzar, everything, and he gives it to whom he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you. Listen, as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules, he said, you'll get it all back as soon as you give glory to God. As soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules, therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Now, listen, I'm going to give you some advice, king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right. Get out of sin, Nebi. Get out of sin, Nebuchadnezzar, by doing what is right and from your injustices. Remember, unrighteousness is one definition is injustice. Get out of your unrighteousness. By showing mercy to the needy. Have some compassion, Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. Maybe God will change his mind. All this happened to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of 12 months, as he was walking, obviously at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, is this not Babylon the great that I have built? By my vast power to be a royal residence and to display my majestic glory? Listen to what he's saying. Listen to the language. Is not this Babylon the great that I have built by my vast power to be a royal resident and to display my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, <laughs> a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. I told you that's what, that, that's what the dream said. It said until you realize that, that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed right at that moment. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair, his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Picture this. Picture this. He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. He looked like a beast. Something from a Stephen King movie. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. <laughs> he said, I looked up to heaven and I came to my senses. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. After all this happened to him, he said, I returned, my senses returned to me. 
Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. I do what I want up there and down here. I'm Lord of it all. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There was no one who can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? Nobody can say, God, what do you think you're doing? Nobody can say that to God ever. But Nebuchadnezzar, once his sanity returned, he glorified God. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does what his dominion is an everlasting. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. All right. Uh, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Nonsense. Darkened means to, be, to, means to be deprived of light. They couldn't understand anything correctly. And it affected the entire inner, inner life, their intellect, emotions, and their will. They couldn't, come to, they couldn't understand anything correctly. They went headlong into error in every way. Headlong into error in every way. Why? So, their thinking became nonsense. And their senses' minds were darkened. They became blind, spiritually blind. Without contact with God, the center of man's contact with reality, when, without contact with God, the center of man loses contact with reality, and he misses his perfect purpose of existence, and he becomes ungrateful. As we saw, they became ungrateful. When you, when you m- lose contact with God, the center of your whole being loses contact with reality. We don't know what's real anymore. We lose contact with reality, and we miss the purpose of our existence, and we become ungrateful. 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 Part of the wrath and judgment of God is man's loss of intelligent thinking. Part of the wrath and the judgment of God is man's ability, his loss of intelligent thinking. In other words, God says, I'm going to let you be stupid. His loss of intelligent thinking. You, you, you lose the ability to think rationally, logically. You start to think irrationally and illogically. God says, I'm going to let you think irrationally and illogically. I'm going to let you believe that a man can become a woman because he cuts off his body parts and puts on a dress. I'm going to let you believe a woman can become a man just because she feels like it. I'm going to let you believe that. I'm going to let you be irrational in your thinking. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being insensitive against gender dysphoria. That's a real thing. And I'm, don't, don't misunderstand me here. But when people who have PhDs beside their name co-sign it, when a six-year-old boy says, I'm a girl, and you say, yeah, you are, let's go have surgery. That's the judgment of God, church. That's irrational. That's illogical. The word fool, when God says, they're thinking became fool, foolish. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm ahead of myself. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude, ingrateful, ungrateful. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, 
and their senseless minds were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The word in the Greek is moros, is where we get our English word moron. God says they became morons, thinking themselves to be wise. It didn't say God said they were wise. They said they thought themselves to be wise. The word means to be silly. It means mentally sluggish, morally worthless in heart and character. Morally worthless in heart and character. That's how they became when they, when, when they rejected God. When your heart becomes darkened, you become silly. And you believe silly things. Claiming to be wise. At the same time, you're claiming to be wise. At the same time, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. The immortal God means one who is not liable to corruption or decay. I love that. None who, one who is not liable to corruption or decay. They exchanged that God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. This is all under the judgment and wrath of God. This is what happens when we reject God. And we see all of this in our society today. We see all of this in our society today. All of these consequences, the downward spiral. There's willful ignorance in verse 21, and then there's wholesale replacement of God in verses 23 to 25. But let's look at what they did. They exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Psalm 106, they exchanged their glory for the image of grass-eating ox. That's what it said in Psalms. They exchanged their glory, the God, Yahweh, for the image of a grass-eating ox. We, saw, we see it in Exodus, and, and when the, the calf they made. They made a, a golden calf. And they said, this is the God that brought us out of How is this the God that brought you out and you just made him? <laughs> see the foolish thinking? The foolish thinking. I'm going to read Jeremiah. Um, there's a couple more verses here I want to read. I, I only gave him verse 11, but I, there's a couple extra I want to read, so I'm going to just read it out of my Bible. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses, I want to go to verse 11 and 13, and here's what it says. I'm sorry, I'm going to start at verse 8. The priest quit asking, where is the Lord? Uh, this, this is what's going on here. It's Jeremiah uh, talking about uh, Israel's apostasy. The priest quit asking, where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. Baal was a false god. The prophets prophesied by Baal instead of Yahweh, the real God, and followed useless idols. Verse 9, therefore, I will bring a case against you again. This is the Lord's declaration. I will bring a case against your children's children. See, I'm going to bring a case against your grandkids. Verse 10, cross over to Cyprus and take a look, he said. Cross over to Cyprus, take a look. Send someone to Kedar. And consider carefully, see if there has ever been anything like this. Verse 11, has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods, yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. My people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be horrified at this, heavens. 
be shocked and utterly appalled. For my people have committed a double evil. Evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. False idols. He said they exchanged the glory for useless idols, for phonies. And we do the same thing today. This is the children of Israel. They exchange for golden calves and ox, and we exchange God. We do it too. And now there's going to be anything that you put in the place of God. We exchange the glory of God, the immortal God, for a job, for a relationship, for money, for fill in the blank, for sex. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for idols, things that we worship. See, worship, see, when we think about worship, we always think about, you know, some statue in the basement that people bow down to. That's rare here in this country. There's other forms of worship. We worship politics. We worship sports. We worship sex. We worship relationships. We worship entertainment in this country. We exchange the, glo- the mortal God for those things. And it's not, it, it brings the wrath and judgment of God. One more. Isaiah. All who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure does not profit. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will, put, they will be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image for no profit? Look, all its worshipers will be put to shame, and the craftsmen are humans. They all will assemble and stand. They all will be startled and be put to shame. The iron worker labors over the coals, shapes the idol with hammers, and works it with his strong arm. Okay, listen, he's making here. Also, he grows hungry and his strength fails. He doesn't drink water and is faint. The woodworker stretches out a measuring line. He outlines it with a stylus. He shapes it with chisels and outlines it with a compass. He makes it according to a human likeness, like a beautiful person, to dwell in a temple. He cuts down setters for his use, or he takes a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a laurel, and the rain makes it grow. It serves as fuel for man. He takes some of it and warms himself. Okay, listen to this. He takes some of it and warms himself. Also, he kindles a fire and bakes bread. He even makes it into a god and worships it. The same thing. He makes an idol from it and bows down to it. The same stuff he used to warm himself. He burns half of it in the fire and he roasts meat on that half. He eats the roast and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the blaze. He makes a god or his idol with the rest of it. Listen how silly this is. Thinking of themselves wise, they became fools. He bows down to it and worships. <laughs> he prays to it. Save me, for you are my God. The stuff he just got done eating. Such people do not comprehend and cannot understand. Darkened. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see in their minds so that they cannot understand. No one reflects. No one has the perception or insight to say, I burned half of it in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Nobody's thinking to say, okay, I just did all this stuff with this thing. I will make something detestable with the rest of it, and I will bounce down to a block of wood. He said, nobody has sense enough to even think that that's what you're doing. 
fools, morons. I roasted meat with it. I roasted meat and ate it. I will make something detestable with the rest of it, and I will bounce on to a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. His deceived mind, listen, deceived mind, his darkened mind has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, isn't there a lie in my right hand? Wait a minute. Isn't this, what I'm, isn't this a lie in my right hand? Foolish. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for this. That's man rejecting God. Ah, verse 24. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the Creator who was praised forever. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts. The cravings of, deliver them over is judicial abandonment, is what theologians call this. And it's not the same as rejection. To abandon over, to give over to their sin. God says, okay, you want that? Have it. He delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity. The cravings, the lust, a passionate desire for sexual pleasure. That's what they wanted instead of God. A passionate desire for sexual pleasure. And that's what we see in our culture today. Our culture is obsessed with sex, if you hadn't noticed. And God says, you want that? Have at it. So that their bodies were degraded among themselves. And then notice what it says. It says, in the cravings of their hearts. See, it's always in their hearts. See, sin is the hardest. It always starts right here in your heart. And then you act it out in your bodies. God delivered them over in the cravings of the heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded. Impurity is unclean, useless in service to a particular God. It means contaminated or infected. Sexual impurity, infection, contaminated, contamination. So that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Pornography is huge in our culture. Sexual immorality. It's one of the first signs that a society is going downhill. Degraded passion. Passions of dishonor. Treated shamefully. Vile. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I'm sorry, wait a minute. Go back. And their bodies were degraded among themselves. Degraded means passions of dishonor. Treated shamefully, vile, and is manifested through their bodies. The signs of God's abandonment in society is that society has gone crazy with sex. That's one of, one of the signs that God has, has abandoned their society. We're obsessed with sexual immorality. And the thing is, sometimes we think that silence is approval because God is not saying anything. We think that God approves. See, that's dangerous. When you think that because God hasn't said anything, that he's okay with it. That God doesn't care. He's not concerned because we're still here. Psalm 50. But God says to the wicked, what right do you have to recite my statutes and to make my, take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and turn your back on my words. 
When you see a thief, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit, maligning your brothers, slandering your mother's son. This is all the stuff they were doing. Slandering your mother's son. He says, you have done these things and I kept silent. I didn't say nothing. Look what he says. You thought I was just like you. Because I didn't say nothing. You thought I was okay. I was, you thought I was just like you. See, because God didn't burn down the White House back in 2016 when they made same-sex marriage legal and, 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 and lit the lighthouse and rainbow flag, since God didn't burn the house down, he's okay with this. He said, you thought I was like you. He said, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this. Listen, he's saying, you who forget God. Oh, I will tear you apart. Listen to what God is saying here. He says, understand this, you forget God, or I will tear you apart, and there will be no one to rescue you. Who will deliver you from God? Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. God always gives you hope. Always, always. One last verse. Because the sentence against the criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people was filled with a desire to commit crime. Because, because the sentence wasn't carried out immediately, because God didn't act immediately, people say, okay, I'm just going to continue doing this then. People, at the heart of people was filled with the desire to commit crime or sin. Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people. Listen. I know what it looks like with the sinner. He said, but it's going to go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. Remember, godless means irreverent. But God, people who love God, they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked. Ain't going to go well with them, y'all, no matter what it looks like. And they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. They're godless. Godless. Sorry. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts, their sexual impurity, their bodies in danger themselves. Okay. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is blessed forever. You worship something created rather than a creator himself. Rejection of God in the heart and mind leads to exchanging truth for a lie. And I believe it was G.K. Chesterton that said this. When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing anything. Listen to that. When you choose not to believe God, it's not that you don't believe anything. You're now able to believe and willing to believe anything. That's scary. That's scary. And notice, he says, look at it. He says, they exchange the truth for, for a lie and worship. They're still worshiping, in case you haven't noticed. They're still worshiping. They just worship and serve something created instead of the creator. Verse 26, and I'm, I'm done after these two verses. Uh, this is why God delivered them over to the grading passions, for even their females exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of, of, of their error. This is talking about homosexuality. Now, what we're going to do is there's some tough topics in Romans, period. You know, this is one of them, homosexuality. So we're going to come back and talk about this on another message. 
Okay, in a few weeks, we're going to come back and deal with homosexuality by itself. Okay, so I'm not going to expound on these verses, okay, um, because we're going to come back and deal with them in a few weeks. But, but look at what he says. This is why God delivered them over to the grading pastors, for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations. Talking about lesbianism. Exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. For unnatural. Notice that he says it's unnatural. The males, in the same way, also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males. Listen, listen to what he says. He says what they do is shameless. Shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. He called it error. Another translation says perversion. Another one says wrong. That's what the Bible has to say about homosexuality in part. And we're going to deal with that in a few weeks. I'm done. Those were some hard verses, I know. But listen, we're ready to take communion. And we're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion. And we're going to come back. And I want, there's some other things I want to say. But I know this was hard. This was not a, a happy message. I get that. But this is the word of God, and it's true. And it just shows the reason for God's wrath and judgment is justified. But for us, there is no wrath. We'll see that in a second. Let's sing. Romans uh, chapter 5. Sorry. Says verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. Verse 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. We talked about the wrath of God tonight, but the Bible says we've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ from God's wrath. There is no wrath for us. There is no wrath for us. These were talking, God was talking about ungodly, unrighteous people who rejected him. But for those who embrace the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, the Bible says we were saved from the wrath. We have not been appointed to wrath. And as we celebrate communion, the death, burial, and resurrection, the broken body and shed shed blood of Jesus Christ, let's celebrate and praise God for being delivered from his wrath. Amen? God, we thank you, Lord God, for Jesus Christ who delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's celebrate. Let's partake of the broken body and shed blood. I didn't want to leave us in despair tonight with this message. That's why I want us to remember and acknowledge we've been delivered from the wrath. Amen. We've been delivered from the wrath. We were in that category. All of us were. All of us were in that category. But God, in his mercy, chose us before the foundation of the world and said, he will not get my wrath. She will not get my wrath. 
Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. We glorify you for just being God. And we want to glorify you, Lord God. Help us to glorify you with our lives. The immortal God. The eternal, immortal God. Not subject to decay or corruption. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. That's you in your mercy and your grace. What What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? But God, we're grateful. We don't know why you love us, but we're grateful. We don't want to be like the people in those verses who were ungrateful. Lord, help us to be grateful, to glorify you, to love you, to worship you. And we thank you. Now, always believe this place whenever your presence. Give us traveling mercies. Bring us back at the appointed time. We'll give you glory. We'll give you honor. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.